Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Ohio Texas Football Today, Coffee and Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of On3 and Inside Texas. And guys, it wasn't pretty, but a win is a win. Texas, of course, walked away with a victory 31-10. to 10. What's your thoughts? I, I tell you what, I, look, I've, I've watched the game now three times in its entirety, guys. Uh, gone back and looked over it. Uh, my my take on it uh, is uh, Texas. Uh, they you know once they went down seven to nothing, Texas won that game thirty one to three. Okay, so outside of the big run in the first quarter, uh, Wyoming did nothing but nickel and dime Texas. It was death by a thousand cuts, right? That's their whole idea for behind what they were going to do. My my take on it is Texas played reasonably well on defense, if not dominant on defense offense lack of consistency uh that that's going to be the the hallmark of this texas team uh in that game that's that's where i go back to and and why the longhorns had a problem pulling away from the cowboys until the fourth quarter i i think it's going to be interesting um as we get adjusted his new clock the running clock rule the Ben don't break defense is going to be interesting long term um Wyoming ran 66 plays and had 38 minutes of possession time. Texas ran 52 plays. That is the least plays Sark has run at Texas offensively. The least he's ever run it in a, in a single game, Jerry? Yeah, based on – I went through last year. Um, you know, they'd run 75 against Rice, 75 against Bama, 52 Saturday. Um, it, 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 the Wyoming – it's going to be interesting to see if somebody tries to copy what Wyoming did. Can Kansas copy what Wyoming did to a certain extent? Because if you play a bend, don't break defense in the future with this running clock rule, you have a chance to get choked out a little bit and leave your offense on the field. I mean, off the field. And if you only run 52 plays of offense, if a power five team can sit Texas on the sideline for that long, that puts a lot of pressure on an offense to score on every possession. That's going to be interesting to see if D coordinators are forced to, if a game starts going that direction, Bobby, if D coordinators are forced to get a little more aggressive as they kind of adjust to this new clock rule, because the last thing you want to do is get choked out in a game like that. No doubt about it. All right, guys. Well, let's, you know, we're, we're, we're three games in now. So let's talk about who y'all think has made the biggest impact on both sides of the ball. Uh, and let's start with offense. And Bobby, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to give out awards, you're talking about basically uh, quarter season awards, right? Three games yeah. in, non-conference yeah. done of a 12-game regular season slate. Uh, Longhorns may play 13, 14, 15 games this year. We don't we don't know the total number, but uh, theoretically, of the regular season, we're quarter way, quarter of the way done. Uh, my offensive MVP would be one of two people right now, um, and it would be either Xavier Worthy. Um, who I think uh, until that uh, catch and run against Wyoming, Texas looked stagnant. It reminded that catch and run reminded me an awful lot uh, like Roshan Johnson's run against UTSA last year, where he kind of energized the whole team was saying, wow, we got that guy on our side and you don't. Right. Um, UTSA didn't have Roshan Johnson last year. Right. And then that kind of uh, that, that kind of got the momentum going. Uh, he caught the deep ball against Alabama. Did not have a great game against Rice, but uh, got back in the flow. Uh, Quinn's been too inconsistent. Jonathan Brooks didn't necessarily have a, a 
big game uh, early against Rice. I think Xavier Worthy, my second place on that, though, is somebody going to be a little bit different than maybe I would have anticipated uh, early in the year, and that's Jake Majors. Uh, I think through three games, I don't think Jake Majors has had a false start penalty now. So that was a problem last year, right? He's actually commanded the offensive line. I feel like they've got it going in the right direction there. Uh, so that would be uh, it for me. Uh, what about you guys? On all, I, I'll give my defensive one, but I think defense is a hands-down easy winner. Uh, Gary, what do you think on offense? Um, yeah, I, I thought it was great you mentioned Jake Majors. I'm going Xavier Worthy, too, because the punt return game yep. as well. He's flipped the field a couple times. Um, he's having a season that is – I don't want to call it a bounce-back season, but he's having his best season yet at Texas. Um, I like that you mentioned Jake Majors because, look, Majors has a tougher job this year with the uh, DJ Campbell starting. He's got to help a first-year starter. Uh, you road games at Alabama, which was as loud of an environment as you'll play in. Um, and, and then now you're working through, again, Cole Hudson's injured. Now you may see Hayden Connor playing right. There's more moving parts around Jake than there was last year. So he's got more on his plate. Um, so I, I, I'm glad. I, I really like that you brought that up. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw my defensive out right now is Jade Barron. And we yeah. can- <laughs> if anybody thinks it's anybody other than Jade Barron at this point, I'm not sure what to tell you. Yeah, uh, I counted four uh, on Saturday night. I went when I went back. I counted four third down sh- stops short of the chains. Yeah, one on one, not not together. One on one, four fourth down. All right, third down stops. Yeah, that's that's doing what Impressive. he needs to do to help. Yeah, Blake, what do you think? You you've been watching these games. What what do you have for offense and defense? <laughs> so on offense, I don't, I'm with you on Worthy. I also think you could possibly add Ad Mitchell in there. Um, and then, yeah, defense, I, I think it's a no-brainer. I don't think there's any argument. There's no and or, you know, type deal. So I, I'm with you all on that one for sure. Hey, by the way, I've had a couple of uh, recruiting questions I want to hit on before the next question, Blake. 2025 mm-hmm. receivers, DeCorian Moore, Marcus Harris, Andrew Marsh, all at the game Saturday along with Ryan Wingo. Those are arguably the three top 25, 2025 receivers on the board right now when you consider Ryan Williams is trying to – reclass to 2024 um so if you said who are the top five receivers on the board right now they had four of those guys were in austin saturday for the game and i think texas in a uh uh, i think texas is doing well at modern day that's jordan davison that's marcus harris and that's brandon baker who announces sunday who was and spencer shannon from last year and spencer shannon yeah yeah so the three nationally recruit uh, ranked guys in Brandon Baker and 24, Jordan Davis and Marcus Harris. I think Texas is doing pretty well with all those guys right now. All right, guys. Hey, speaking of doing well, I don't know if y'all saw yesterday or not, uh, but B. John Robinson, uh, his performance <laughs> with the Falcons, 19 carries, 124 yards, four receptions, 48 yards. Pretty impressive stuff. Kind of a continuation of, of what we saw at Texas. He's got a chance to be the rookie of the year. Early on, that's what it looks like. Um, I would I would say not since Earl Campbell has a rookie running back at the from the University of Texas had as big an impact this early. I mean, I remember Earl Campbell taking a 73-yard swing pass for 72 yards or something like that against the Atlanta Falcons in his first game. Bijan's having that kind of impact. Little it's a lot, it's a very different game nowadays, obviously, uh, with the uh, space that people play in and yeah. Uh, in football, but uh, so they're totally different players. Uh, but that's that's really a part of it. Hey, guys, we need to say thank you and want to say thank you to our uh, newest sponsor, John Donovan, uh, president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. 
and his more than 30 years of practice, John, as a certified financial planner, has been providing total wealth management services and solutions for his clients. John is a proud UT grad and has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas, Texas board member. He shares his passion for UT with his wife and his six siblings, all of whom are also UT grads. It's this passion that led John to dedicate his firm to serving his fellow UT alumni, employees, fram, uh, friends, and family. So tell uh, to learn how Longhorn Wealth can orchestrate prosperity for you and your loved ones, give John a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. That's longhornwealth.net. We appreciate it, John. Hey, by the way, Matthew Stubblefield had a comment. We were talking about Texas only running 52 plays. They had a 17-play drive. Other than that, they had 35 offensive plays the entire night. That's an amazing – That means one-third of all plays came in one drive because yeah. 17 times three is 51. That's a rudimentary math skill. You're, you're <laughs> spot on with your math. So 35 plays the entire the rest of the entire night. That's, that's an amazing that's, That is crazy. And – you know, I, I will say this, the te- Texas, other than the drive that Wyoming finished the game with, Texas really dominated Wyoming in the fourth quarter. I mean, the, the, I think they had three three and outs or two three and outs and a, and a uh, pick six yeah. before that long drive. Um, I think Texas did mix up the defense a little bit. They started stunting the defensive tackles in the fourth quarter a little bit. I noticed that. Uh, they changed up some coverage looks and went to a little bit tighter man coverage uh, by putting Malik Muhammad and uh, Gavin Holmes in, who are a yeah. little bit faster than their counterparts, Ryan Watson, Terrence Brooks, who are a little bit more physical against the run, knowing that Wyoming was going to pass, right, Jerry? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I look at this, and th- look, they're reacting well right yeah. now. Um, let, let's get to some uh, fan questions. I want to ask one off of the Inside Texas message boards, uh, if you don't mind, uh, uh, Blake. Uh, th- this is one that I thought was interesting. Uh, what does Sark need to do to wake up the offense for the first half? I do worry about teams getting an early lead and then milking the clock like Wyoming did in the third quarter. We've talked to Rod about this. We, we've talked to uh, multiple people now. Uh, I'm going to have Brian Irwin on later today, lunch with the coach, right? He's gonna. I'm going to ask him about this very question. What do we think Sark needs to do? Rod's like, well, you can have it. Maybe with Sark, you can have it one of two ways. You can script the heck out of the first quarter, or you can have a, a you know, go nuts in the fourth quarter. And Rod's point is, I'd rather go nuts in the fourth quarter because that's when it that's when the ball game matters. How do you get both? I actually thought his game plan against Alabama was good in the first quarter, even though it didn't produce a lot of points. I thought they got the ball moving. I, I kind of wonder if Wyoming, if it wasn't something to do with not having both Cedric Baxter and Jonathan Brooks available, you couldn't lean on Wyoming necessarily. You're not going to lean on Wyoming in the run game with Jaden Blue. You're just not. Or even really Keelan Robinson. Right. And so does that change your your focus or your MO? I mean, I I don't know. I I think they also had a lot of big-time receiver recruits at the game. (laughs) Yeah, he said that last night. Jerry Jerry said that he got a – his dad's a former coach. For people that don't know, Jerry Jerry got a uh, literally got a text from his dad. Goes, well, maybe they didn't want to run the ball because they had a bunch of nice receiver recruits. <laughs> Jerry's dad's playing recruiting expert right now. <laughs> I, I, it's probably not far off in in some manner, right? I agree. I agree. Uh, There's something but, to that. 
but but I think so. I, but I do think what'll be interesting to that question is somebody's going to try to do to Texas what Wyoming just did in the Big Twelve, and this is where you you do have to get off to. There's going to be two or three games where you do have to get off to a better start offensively. If not, somebody may get up on you, and then they may choke that ball out on you, and and you're playing against a better opponent than Wyoming. And that's where it gets a little dicey. So there's going to be two or three games where you do have to start well offensively uh, because I, I think, you know, we always say, okay, some, the, the flyover defense is something that teams are going to try against Texas. I think what Wyoming just did against Texas, if you have a offense that scares you with a big play offense, which is what Texas is to me, the best way to beat those guys is to limit their plays. And they'll use that new clock rule to limit their time on the field. Um, and I think with that running clock rule on first down, teams have a better chance to do that successfully now. So there's going to be two or three games Texas has to get off to a good start offensively um, because they're going to play better opponents week in, week out the rest of the season. And speaking of that, Jerry, this is actually going to lead me to these first two questions that are very related to what you're talking about. Uh, the first here from Sam, and he says, will Sark overcome his three three five demons? Bobby, you got a thought on that one? Rod seems to think so. Yeah. Um, you know, talking to Rod uh, Babers last night and even after the game on Saturday, he feels like Sark started going to the big tight end sets with Malik Ogbo. And if you remember, he did the same thing against Baylor in the fourth quarter last year. He went with Andre Carrick in the big tight end sets and just started running the ball. I think he feels like he may have a solution. What that solution exactly is, I don't know. Uh, Rod wants to talk about it more and kind of dive into it a little bit more and try to figure some things out. But when they go double big like that, I, I think that may be that may be the solution uh, that uh, Rod's talking about. Yeah, yeah because look, the, the three three five. Here, here's the deal: there's a lot of pressure to set the edge defensively, and when you're running that three three five flyover. If you don't set the edge, you, you can run outside the tackles for chunk yards against that defense. So you're either going to do that one with running backs. Maybe you bring in Malik Ogbo and you tack it that way. Um, or, or two, you have to have a mobile quarterback that can do it. And Texas does not have that. So they're limited in ways they can beat it. But I, I think running outside the tackles, I mean, look, it puts a lot of pressure on a defense to set the edge. And if they don't get the edge set – um, you have too many guys off the line of scrimmage in the run game. All right. Well, we have a, a, a possible solution here uh, from Sue Barnes. And they say, what are the chances we see more empty formations like Red Cat and quarterback draw plays to combat the 3-3-5 defenses? Any thoughts on other ways we can create a schematic advantage for the offense as well? I think that goes to those two, those the, the big tight end. That's definitely a scheme. Um I do not see Quinn Ewers running the ball on purpose uh, in a quarterback draw situation, unless it's just a wide open, you know, situation. I, I don't, I don't see that happening guys. Do y'all, uh, Jerry, you, that's just not who he is. No. no right. Um, the red cat though is a different scenario. I like it uh, because of the fourth down possibilities. Uh, the yeah. thing about it uh, and you know, it keeps, look, it keeps the edges honest because you can fake the handoff in the in the red in the red zone, uh, and so because of that, 
it keeps the edges honest from crashing down. And so then it's truly about the middle of your offensive line and from tackle to tackle doing its job and having a running back that can kind of pick and choose. And so from, from my opinion, I love it. Uh, I, I think that the, that needs to be incorporated even more going forward. Uh, and this related question from Jerry C says, Sark mentioned they were running a new defense. Did they start making adjustments when they notice, or did they wait until halftime? Um, I think they clearly tried to make adjustments early. Uh, they, you got to remember, Texas did have a nice uh, long drive uh, in the middle of the second, or I think it was the sorry, late first, early second quarter where Texas actually went up 10 to seven. Um, that was a good drive by the Longhorns. Uh, effective, uh, time-consuming. Uh, they dinked and dunked down the field, uh, to be honest. They gave Wyoming a taste of their own medicine. Uh, so I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure, Blake, that that is the concern on, on those kinds of things. Uh, but my take on it uh, overall is that Texas absolutely, um, you know, had to react earlier. It's still very hard sometimes to, to make those changes in the flow of the game. Okay, guys, we got some super chats that we need to get to. So I'm going to grab those real quick. And Jimmy Trevino, thank you, Jimmy. He says, do y'all think Sark is picking his battles? I'm curious to see how much longer these pitch counts last with some of our starters. And he's drinking San Antonio blend this morning. <laughs> I, I think I think there's some truth in that. Um, look, Jalen Catalan, the most snaps he's played this year, right, Bobby, was Bama game. Right. I mean, and I think that you're going to see that in against Kansas, right? Against Oklahoma. There are certain teams that Catalan will play more snaps against. Uh, I think that's real. Um, I think defensive line as well. I don't think you'll see the full rotation all the time. I think there's certain games, but I think that's what I think that's very smart. Um, what Texas is doing. I really do. I think they're protecting Catalan the best they can for their season and Jalen. Um, because he just plays with zero regard for his body. And with the injuries he's had, if you're asking him to play 60 snaps a game, he's going to get hurt again. That is just – he's had too many injuries, and he he's just plays that style and that aggression. Um, so I like what they're doing there. I like that they have the rotation on the defensive line. I think, look, if Trill Carter continues to get healthier, I think that's going to be big too um, as the season moves along. Um, so really keeping those defensive linemen fresh. But I do think there's some certain games you're going to see, uh, Bobby, more snaps played by certain defensive linemen um, and obviously by Jalen Catalan. Hey, hey, we saw it on the defensive line, just to be clear. Jure Bledsoe, who played really well against Alabama, did not get a snap on Saturday against Wyoming. And you know who took his, his snaps away? Trill Carter. Right. Because they wanted to go run defense first. Yeah. And, you know, having that depth matters. You know, if you want to pet rush the passer, of course you want Dre Bledsoe in there. If you want somebody to stop the run, you want Trill Carter in there. Uh, they're going to they're gonna rotate in depth. And you, if you have the players to do it that are specialists and you can get them on the field, this is why depth matters. I mean, you do that every day and twice on Sunday. I mean, that that is, uh, that is just a no-brainer in my opinion. Hey, uh, real quick, like I want to say thank you to one of our sponsors, if you don't mind, real quick. Go uh, we've got the, the guys over at Home Field Apparel. Uh, they actually are a premium college apparel brand uh, that is based in the good old USA. They emphasize their commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel 
with vintage college designs. They feature a growing collection of more than 150 colleges to choose from, including, of course, the University of Texas. Homefield designs are unique because they delve into the archives and history of each school using unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create thoughtfully designed apparel. They are all about authenticity and nostalgia. I personally like the Bevo. Uh, when I went to school, that was kind of the alternative logo. Uh, I got one in gray and one for me and my son both. Uh, I'm telling you guys, give their site a look. It's homefieldapparel.com. It's not the typical UT gear you usually see. You can find them again at homefieldapparel.com where you can see their selection of teams, colleges, and styles available. And guess what? Our listeners get 15% off their first order with discount code ONTEXAS23. That's ONTEXAS23. It's the perfect apparel to get you ready for the upcoming season. So check them out, homefieldapparel.com. Somebody asked about Isaiah Nayor. Is he unhappy? Look, guys are guys aren't happy when they don't play. I mean, I especially against the team they transferred from. So, um, especially guys that came in had an injury. They were doing very well. Um, Ad Mitchell transfers in, takes your snaps that you were going to have. So, I mean, that's reality competition. Yeah. I, hey, look. I mean, he, he could be unhappy, but I'm telling you, he wasn't 100 percent in fall camp. Right. He's still not cutting the way he was a year ago before the injury. Um, with, a little, with a little more time on the shelf and not stressing that, does it get better? Does he continue to strengthen it? Uh, he's going to get snaps, guys. Yeah. To, to act like he's not going to get snaps. And, yeah, I mean, do people get upset? Yeah, I can tell you he's not He's not the only one that got upset they didn't play more right. on Saturday. Right. Um, it's just exactly. pronounced, perhaps, because he's playing his former team yeah. in Wyoming. No doubt about it. And if you're out, and, and if you're out on social media, obviously it gets enhanced. Yes, exactly. That's the other. <laughs> Very true. All right, guys. A couple more super chats we need to knock out. Uh, we talked about Bijan Robinson a second ago, uh, but Joseph Diaz says that Schooler block. Hook him. I don't know if y'all saw that. Of course, he had the big block I, I for the not. Patriots. <laughs> so, and then we got one here. Oh, I, I liked him making Mac Jones wear the uh, Texas shirt. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I liked about Brendan Schooler <laughs> with the Alabama-Texas bet up in New England. That's what I liked. <laughs> He's definitely making his mark on special teams up there, no doubt about it. Uh, Rudy Serda says, number one, does Colin Simmons and Micah Parsons train at the same facility on the offseason? And number two, is Sweat moving up to a second-round NFL draft pick? Simmons and Micah have trained together. Do they do it all the time? Obviously, they don't um, because of time, right? I mean, that's just not – uh, the way the timing would work for everything. But, yeah, they've both been too collective in Austin. Um, they have trained together. I think they've trained somewhere, maybe met up in Dallas somewhere as well at some point in time. Is it an every day all, or every week thing in the offseason? No, it's not. Um, but that has happened before. Uh, Tavondre Sweat, second-round pick, Bobby. I don't know. Possibly. you got to see who comes out early. I mean, really, who comes out as an early entry is going to decide a lot about this draft. Um, Third-round pick, I can definitely see that. I just think he has the size, and I think he has the versatility with that size to have value in the NFL. Um, I'll, I'll be blunt. I, I would be surprised if he's not a third or fourth rounder unless he continues to make disruptive plays, okay, like he did against Alabama. So if that happens, I can easily see him move up into the second round. He is a future NFL long-time guy as long as he remains healthy. 
and and keeps pushing himself a little bit. He's always had the talent, Jerry. Yeah. He, he is the most talented of those defensive linemen, at least the, the interior guys, right? Because he's got the athletics. I mean, he this guy played center in high school basketball. Let, let's be clear. He's 360 pounds. He has talent. Um, I, I think that, you know, he, is he getting too big? I don't know. But the NFL loves guys that can plug the middle and have a little bit of athleticism. Yes. And that's exactly what he has. The question is, is he a true premium player or is he a guy that they think they can get? There's seven or eight Tavondre Sweats through the third through fifth round, which I think is more likely right now. So I, I think he's playing himself up. I, I don't I think he's answering the call uh, for his senior season. That's that's a good thing. I, I, by the way, one guy we haven't mentioned and I went back and watched it. Alfred Collins played reasonably well on Saturday when when asked. Uh, when they tried to bootleg to his side, he literally uh, he, that, he, they, he was having none of it. Um, and so they stopped actually rolling out, let, uh, rolling out to that side and rolled the pocket to the other side when he was in. Uh, so Alfred Collins is, is having an effect. He did not hold up great against the run. Neither did Vernon Broughton, though, although Broughton came back and actually had a ni- nice game by splitting some double teams on the interior. He used his quickness to get, get some things done. Now let's talk about some uh, a little bit more defense. Forrest Eldridge says, how hard is it to game plan for a defense and a certain type of quarterback all week, and then come game time, you're not playing either? Does it affect the game more than we think? Well, I think it only affected the quarterback run game. I think their passing game and everything they did was going to be exactly the same. Wyoming's game plan going in was to try to dominate the time of possession, stay out of second and longs and third and longs. I mean, and they did that. I mean, look, I mean, they had some three and outs, but Bobby, I mean, you watched the game three times. How many second and 13s? How many third and 15s did they have? Zero. They dictated the game, whether it was three and out or 17 play drive. They dictated the football game how they wanted to do, um, and and they did a great job of it. Um, So the only thing they missed was the quarterback run game. Nothing else would have changed with how they attacked Texas. So I want to say this. Uh, the backup quarterback th- throws the quick out better than the, the starting quarterback. So I, I just want y'all to understand that. I watched that and have watched Peasley against Tech. They, they had a replay of it. Um, and so they actually picked up a tick on the out routes, Jerry, with the backup quarterback and gave up the gave up the quarterback run game. And when they went when they went with the other quarterback. So it did change a little bit and just happened to play into the plans, right? Uh, and so, because I think Anthony Hill would have eaten up Andrew Peasley. I'm just going to – Andrew Peasley is not Jalen Milrow. The, right. the, the other Wyoming quarterback, he's not. No. I think I think Texas would have killed that Wyoming quarterback run game, just killed it. All right, this next question is from Todd Lacey, or maybe more of a comment, but I want to get y'all thoughts on it. He says, I would think that Derek Williams starts to play more and more. He has really good speed and natural instincts. And, Jerry, I know you're a big fan. I I, I hope he plays more. And, look, here's the reality. If he had been an early enrollee, guys, he'd have been playing a lot right now. I, I think him not coming in early um, it, it kind of set back his development because he was a guy in high school and – Hey, not set it back in a bad way. Not really. He's just now on a normal course of kids, right? As a senior, he played running back, corner, receiver, safety. This is the first time he's truly locked in the one position 
and just worked on it and trained at it every single day. Um, so while he's really good now, his upside's scary because of his skill set and talent. And he's just now learning one singular position. But if he had been in Bobby in January, I think he'd have been playing 20, 25 snaps a game right now. Yeah, if we, we've identified a couple things that Texas is lacking right now. One of them is speed at safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as big a play as Jaron Thompson made on that pick six and made against Alabama guys, he's undercut two routes now, right, uh, and made game-changing plays. Um, so more power to him. He clearly doesn't have the ideal speed. Um, and so you've got to worry a little bit, what is that going to mean uh, when teams really start – um, start trying to, to scheme against him a little bit and get deep against Texas safeties. Yeah. Um, Derek Williams, I don't know how fast he really is. I don't know. I don't think he's 4-3. So um, is he appreciably yeah. faster than Thompson? Probably so. Yeah. Uh, the thing that he gives you is he gives you a true presence in the box on a comp. I mean, Jaron Thompson did not play well in the box uh, uh, against Wyoming. Actually, he when Wyoming was down – uh, in the, their own uh, goal line inside the five yard line, I think Jaron Thompson literally missed a, a run fit that gave Wyoming an extra eight yards on a run and got them out of being backed up on their own goal line. Jaron Thompson's not a naturally gifted tackler in that way. He's just his body's not made for it, right? Uh, that's where Derek Williams, as a guy that comes down and runs the alley, I, I don't I don't know that you're going to see a prettier safety than that. Um, you had you had Jalen Catalan, and I think you may have two guys at safety that run the alley as about as good as anybody. A, a couple of things, like somebody asked about yeah. Corian Moore. This one's going to play out a while. Look, I mean, this is a real battle. Texas LSU. He was there. Obviously, families, a lot of families in Austin. Grandmother went to Texas. Mom's from Austin. Uh, it'll take a while to play out. Somebody asked about um, Ryan Williams. I'm headed east right now. So we'll, we'll ask me that again tomorrow, Tuesday night. Where, where, where are you going today? Tell everybody where you're going, Jerry. Yeah, I'm, I'm headed to a New Orleans today. Um, check in on a 2026 kid as well as going to go by Wardell Max practice this afternoon. Tuesday, I head over to Sarahland. Then uh, the rest of the week, I'm in Florida. Hey, now you mentioned last night that Wardell Mack and Jarrett Gibson were both at Florida this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Gibson, obviously, the Texas commit uh, out of IMG, the running back. Uh, being at Florida, that was a big win for the Gators. A huge win for the Gators, and I think it impacts Wardell Mack. I mean, I think that makes it tougher on Texas, right? Because after Florida lost, and that's why we said we got to let these seasons play out. When Florida lost at Utah, everybody's like, oh, Mack's going to flip. Well, they play one game. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there uh, left in a season, kind of like Clemson. If Clemson – hey, look, Clemson play, they got FSU. They got a chance to bounce back. I don't, I'm not saying they will, but Jordan Travis obviously is not going to be 100. Um, percent But you know, uh, Jarrett Gibson, just remember this, Texas fans. If it Cedric Baxter was on campus at FSU twice last year while he was committed to Texas, DeAndre Robinson will probably end up at a game somewhere else. If Florida, Florida State, if these schools don't recruit these kids, it's fireable offenses. You don't just let these kids leave. You continue on the recruiting process, no different than Texas bringing in DeCorey and Moore this weekend. They'll get him to campus multiple times. And then if the kid ends up signing at, at, with LSU, you did your job if you're in the University of Texas. So the key with all these visits, as long as kids are upfront and honest with their position coaches and the Texas staff, it doesn't become an issue. Cedric Baxter was last year, right, all the way through Jarrett Gibson. 
is with Texas. There's nothing that's caught off guard with that. If you start showing up on campuses and the staff doesn't know it, then that's different and you'll know something's going on in those recruitments. All right, guys, we got a couple of super chats we need to knock out real quick. And Jerry, they're talking about your trip in the comments, by the way. You'll have to take a look. Uh, Abel I want to know where you're getting your beef jerky. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Abel Martinez says, is Sark simply over-scheming slash overthinking the 335 defense? I know he's a brilliant mind, but is the solution simply some anxiety meds? Thank you, Abel. Hey, I, I think that it's not necessarily for Sark. That may be for the quarterback whose brain gets overloaded. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't just Quinn that gets overloaded against the 335. That's the whole idea behind it is if you have any sort of audible plan uh, the, that the quarterback can go to and he sees something different, you know, that, that's what that defense is designed to do is to, to trick the quarterback, not necessarily the play caller, the quarterback after the play is called. Um, and so uh, I, I see, I hear what you're saying. I don't think Sark's being overly uh, dramatic about it or anything like that. I, I do look for him to be better against it this year. Uh, this this kind of stuff goes in segments, right? I mean, we all saw it back when the run and shoot come out, came out. Nobody could stop it. Then everybody could stop it. When when you know the spread came out, nobody could stop it. Then everybody could stop it. And it goes on and on. It's just, it's cyclical in football. They figure out how to they figure out a new thing, and then people figure out how to stop it. I think that offensive coaches have spent enough time now. It's been about three years since the flyover became more and more popular. The offensive coaches have now found ways to beat that. They have to make in-game adjustments to do it, and whenever you don't expect to see it at all, and all of a sudden you're seeing it on almost every down. Uh, that can be hard to adjust to in a single game, especially for with a non-conference opponent. They didn't expect that out of Rice, and they largely didn't expect it out of uh, Wyoming as much as they got it either. So that that's kind of where that is. All right. I think sometimes those fans need anxiety medicine. Uh, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> All right, Chris Harrington says, something I was confused with in the Wyoming game. It's third and fourth, or, or I'm sorry, third and fourth and short, and the defensive backs were giving a five to six yard cushion. It really bothers me. Why? To help on run support because they don't think they're going to throw. So you can get you can get an angle going in. You don't get tied up against the, the, the uh, wide receiver. Now, if they're going to throw, they can they can try to react while the ball's in the air. That's why. There you go. All right, then one more, guys. Derek Taylor, or trailer, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, Derek says, why is Quinn having so many issues with his timing and completing the deep ball? And well, I mean, he, he completed against uh, he completed against Alabama. He didn't throw one against uh, yeah. Wyoming, except for maybe that deep ball over the middle to JT Sanders, which actually was on time. He just didn't see the safety. Safety came over and knocked it away. Um I think the bigger issue with with uh, Quinn, you mentioned timing. Uh, he he's having some issues, and I think it's his feel for the for the pocket. He's not getting his feet set. He's not stepping into throws, um, and I, I just think it's he's going to have to grow uh, over time. It's not just add water, instant player. Uh, that that's what I think has to happen with Quinn. 
And then Derek follows that up with another another super chat, guys, uh, real quick. And he says, what's going on with the passing game? Quinn seems like he's processing info slowly and not following through on his throws. What do you all think I, about that? I agree. That's what that's part of what I'm saying. I, I, I agree with you, Derek. And that's part of the problem right now and why Quinn Ewers has been inconsistent today. Uh, I don't know if he's seeing ghosts in the pocket, but he doesn't seem to have a good feel for where um, – <laughs> That's nice, Ski. I, 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 you took the words out of my mouth. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that's what it is, but I certainly get the feeling that's where he could improve the most. Stepping into his throws, being consistent. Uh, I, I go back to a couple things though. He is improving over time. It's not all bad, right? This is, you know, his receivers didn't always help him out. Um, some things didn't go right, but you know. I, at the end of the day, uh, he did a couple of nice things in the fourth quarter, uh, got the team down there, let him on that long drive in the second, uh, in the uh, first half. Uh, it, it's not all bad. Uh, I, I worry that some team is going to get Texas in a lot of third and longs and play with Quinn Ewer's head. And Texas only, I think, uh, converted one third and long on the game. And that was a pass over the middle uh, to A.D. Mitchell. That's something to watch. The team that beats Texas on first and second down is going to stop Texas a lot this year. Because right now, Quinn Ewers is not, to your point, is not processing past uh, anything uh, enough or well enough. Okay, guys, we've got lots of uh, comments, questions, everything rolling in about the Big 12. And so I want to discuss that uh, for a little bit. There was they, they were terrible pretty much this week. I mean, there, there's really no other... No other way to say it. Um, I'm going to put this ticker up that shows the scores real quick at the bottom. Anything that surprised y'all, anything that stood out, of course, Kansas State got upset by Missouri, Texas and Oklahoma, now the only two Big 12-ranked teams, which is kind of ironic. Uh, what are y'all's thoughts on this weekend around the Big 12? Well, I, there are a couple that, that shocked me. Um, South Alabama beating Oklahoma State at home 33-7. to I mean, that's not even a fair game. I mean, that's, that's worse than Texas beat Wyoming. Um, the, the best win clearly is this one, uh, BYU beating Arkansas 38-31 to in Fayetteville. Maybe, maybe BYU's starting to come around a little bit. Of course, they come to Austin in, in about a month or so, uh, so we'll have to wait and see. But uh, that was a big one. Oklahoma's offense seems like it's on a roll. Uh, I think that we can make sure to know that at some point in time, Texas and OU – there's a chance uh, that that could go. Kansas did not have a great game against Nevada. They beat Nevada by only seven. Uh, Baylor had a lot of problems with the Long Island. Uh, the Bears were only up 16 to seven at halftime over Long Island. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with Dave Aranda, but we're going to find out this week if if he's just been playing possum. Uh, they are now one and two. They lost to Texas State, then a heartbreaker to Utah. Um We'll see what if they're ready for conference play, and they're going to give it give it a go. Well, uh, the other thing is Baylor. Um, we'll see where Shapen is right this yeah. week if they try to play him against Texas. Also, they have two running backs: Richard Reese, Dominic Richardson. Richardson didn't play against Long Island. He's actually their leading rusher. We'll see if he's ready to go this week. Uh, you have a feeling he probably could be, but I don't. I haven't seen their injury. Uh, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Uh, injury report. Yeah. Hey, that's a good good segue to talk about injuries too, guys. Uh, Texas, we're waiting still on uh, Cole Hudson and Chris Ross. Uh, both sustained injuries in the Longhorns win over Wyoming. Uh, Cole Hudson uh, we believe it's a knee problem. He was having an MRI yesterday. We believe Chris Ross either dislocated or broke his arm. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see how that comes out. Also having an MRI yesterday as well. Steve Sarkeesian uh, has a press conference today around 11 o'clock. Uh, we hope to get that information out to you guys. Uh, look for it, by the way, on Inside Texas uh, if you get a chance. Uh, Inside Texas, we're running a promo right now. One dollar for two months. That's right. Just $1 for two months. If you want all the content you can get, eat. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, go to InsideDexas.com. Use promo code, though, OTFIT23. That's OTFIT23. You will not get a better offer than this. You have to select the monthly offer. If you're a big Longhorn fan, there is no better place uh, to prove it and join us at InsideTexas.com. Uh, by, by the way, somebody asked about UCF. John Reese Plumley's out. And I mean, they, so they lost an experienced quarterback that was a perfect fit uh, for Malzahn's scheme. So we'll see uh, we'll see how they play with quarterback two coming up. All right, let's field some of these Big Twelve questions. Uh, we'll start with Baylor since that's Texas opponent next week or this week, excuse me. Uh, Bobby Vitronic says Baylor struggled with Long Island Ice TU last week and took Utah to the wire the week before. Are they that bad, or is stealing a week of game prep and defensive install before Texas comes calling? Probably a little bit of both. They have problems on offense right now. They have problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they don't have necessarily the defensive personnel in the back end that they had prior to Matt Rule's departure. Uh, they have some good. De- they have a good defensive front. Gabe Hall, T.J. Franklin, those guys are experienced and fairly talented. They'll both play in the NFL at some level, uh, most likely. the The question I have is, if you remember the game last year against uh, Baylor, Texas really just took the ball and ran down Baylor's throat in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they're not appreciably different this year, and they lost Siatka Ika, the big guy in the middle. Right. And so my question is, if, if that's the case, how's Baylor going to defend it this year differently and with which players? Um, uh, clearly, B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson are different ma- difference makers, though. So that, that's where it goes. I think Malik Ogbo is better in that role, however, uh, than Andre Carriage, by the more way. Athletic. He has, He's more athletic. More guy. athletic, With longer arms. Longer, longer arms. arms. So he can latch uh, a little bit easier than Carriage could. Uh, so 
it's going to be an interesting matchup, and this will be probably the first test where Texas is expecting the three three five for the full game and going to get the three three five, and we'll see exactly how Steve Sarkeesian plans to attack it. And, and, and by the way, if Baylor doesn't try, I don't know if they have the offensive line. If they don't try a lot of what Wyoming did offensively, I'll be surprised. I, I would too. But Baylor is a team that on third and seven, they will run the ball. Yes. Just so everybody knows, they they are – Jeff Grimes is – we have just as good a chance running at it on third and seven when you have a light box. So Texas better be ready for that. They were ready for it last year. Okay. Uh, they better be ready for it this year, too. All right, guys. Let's uh, take another question here. Elaine Roker says, the Big 12 looks terrible, but who has a good shot at beating Texas in the Big 12? To, I think that's twofold, Bobby. I think a team that can play like Wyoming did and be successfully try to choke the clock and keep Texas big play offense on the sidelines. That puts a lot of pressure on your offense. Um, who can do that? We'll see. Oklahoma offensively has enough uh, juice because, because I think uh, they can attack the Texas safeties in the passing game down the field. I, I wrote down, I immediately wrote down three teams, but first I want to say this, anybody can beat Texas on a given day. Uh, if they have a bad game, they put the ball on, on the turf throw interceptions, pick sixes, just odd things can happen in football games. We all know that. So taking that out of consideration, they go and Quinn Ewers throws four interceptions in Ames, right? Two of which are returned for this crazy stuff can happen. Taking that out of consideration, the three teams that I circled, OU, KU, K-State. Those are the three teams right now that should give Texas fans the most concern. They play all three. Uh, OU and KU have really good offenses that can click. And if they're clicking, you have to play catch up a little bit. K-State is the only one I feel like that can kind of match up a little bit with the physicality of Texas and has a good, to Jerry's point, they're the ones that can grind out the 18 play drive. Yeah. Um, And so those are the three. There's some other teams. I think Texas Tech uh, is in there. And I think TCU is in there as well. They, they, you know, they got a wake-up call maybe against Colorado. They beat U of H pretty bad uh, on Saturday. Dana Holgerson, by the way, nah. if he if he's if he makes it out of this year, I will be surprised if he's the head coach this time next year for the University of Houston. I'll be surprised if he's coaching against Texas at this rate. Yes, good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know that he could be coach if it, if it continues at this rate, Jerry. He can't even beat Texas and be coaching for his job. Right. I mean that that's. That's where they're at right now. And I, I think that, you know, uh, Tillman Fertitta is going to have his say on that. That's the huge mega donor for the University of Houston. All right, guys, let's do one more Big 12-ish question. Uh, and uh, we've had quite a few comments on this, and it's hypothetical, of course. But William Nee says, Wyoming beat Texas Tech. What other Big 12 teams could they beat? He says Iowa State, Houston, West Virginia, and maybe Cincinnati. I don't West Virginia beat Pitt this week. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be, be a good game. I definitely think they could beat Houston. Uh, I definitely think they could try to beat Cincinnati. Uh, I definitely say. think they would beat – I think they would be favored over Iowa State, home or away. Um, Oklahoma State, they would be favored over at this point. I mean, Oklahoma State lost 33-7. to 
South Alabama's got some offensive guys, but Oklahoma State's this is the worst team Gundy's ever had. It doesn't matter. I mean, 33 to 7, are you kidding me? I mean, that's not even competitive. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, I feel like uh the 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 portal has decimated Oklahoma State to a level that that they just didn't understand. Yeah, or I maybe Gundy did, and that's why he's been so up up up. up Eclectic, uh, or, or whatever that word. You know, I, th- like I think it's going to be an interesting coaching offseason in the Big 12 for people that are still going to care. <laughs> for the, I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, Aranda, Holgerson, is Gundy going to re- hang it up? I mean, this is the worst team he's had. I mean, his son has a couple of years left, but, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I think Gundy's a lifer at Oklahoma State. I, I So I'm, I'm not worried about that one. Um, I, you know, the other team I didn't mention, the Big 12, Jerry, that, that could give Texas problems. And I wouldn't have said this a week ago until they went into Arkansas and beat, beat the, the Razorbacks. Yeah. BYU, because you know they're, they've got the older team, they're more experienced. Well, we'll see. They come to DKR, though. I think yeah. that should be helpful. All right, let's switch gears over to recruiting. We got tons of recruiting questions. It was a big recruiting weekend for the Longhorn Sherry. I know you touched on it a little bit when we opened the show, but here's the million-dollar question. Joseph Diaz says, Jerry, any word from recruits from Saturday? Well, yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. Um, There's two things with recruiting. Is uh, Kids had a great time. Texas puts on an amazing show in recruiting, and Saturday was next level because they'd beaten Alabama – Right. And I've said I said it last night on the live stream. I mean, you had Sergio Garcia, Masters champ there with his wife, who obviously his wife's or his father-in-law was a former Texas quarterback. Miles Turner, TJ Ford, Jermichael Finley was there with his son, obviously as a recruit. I mean, just Brian Rackpo. It was an event Saturday and CDC has made Texas recruiting an event on game day. I mean, it, it is tough to beat that. So kids had great things to say. I talked to DeAndre Robinson. He had great things to say. That was the first time, even though he's committed to Texas, he's been there twice. First game he's ever been to. Um, so yeah, the recruits have nothing but positive thing to say, positive things to say. And here's the thing there. Here's the thing to remember is they look at these games so much different than fans. You know, Colin Simmons isn't watching that game thinking, golly, uh, this is terrible. He's he's Colin Simmons watching that game as an alpha five star saying I would have tackled him for loss. I'd have tackled him for loss and I'd have tackled him for loss. They need me out there. That's the difference. I mean, uh, recruits may be looking at that. A wide receiver may be looking at that saying I probably would have scored on that play. I don't think I'd have dropped that ball. I would have left my feet and made that play. I mean, These guys look at it different than the fans. So as long as Texas keeps putting on a great show like they are in recruiting facilities, this is the game day atmosphere, Bevo Boulevard, when a parent walks around there, um, the the feedback parents are giving recruit parents is big. We talk about recruits, players recruit, parents recruit as well. They all talk nowadays. Um, and, and the staff has had great communication with these kids. They're genuine with these kids. So I think the recruiting responses have all been very positive, um, much more positive than I think the fans figured they would that watched the game and had a little angst. And their adjective was up. And that leads me to this question, uh, and it's a two-parter, so bear with me here. Ted Pair one says, uh, hook them, my coffee and football peeps. How did y'all like the LEDs, the new sound, and the playlist of songs at DKR? And then he follows that up with, and I got to find it here. Um, got to know about the playlist from On Texas Football and Jerry. What did the recruits like 
about it in your opinion? Uh, the play, I, I don't, I don't know on the playlist. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I, um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't have a play. Uh, I don't have a playlist. I can tell you that, but recruits, I didn't ask about music. I mean, that's the last thing I ask about, honestly, <laughs> I ask about who they talk to and um, you know, what players they talk to and uh, who they gravitate towards and uh, kind of what was the coach's message to those guys. I mean, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's low on my list. That by the way, somebody said, uh, um, somebody's mom's recruiting Corey Gibson. Look, Texas, Justin Wells was at Corey Gibson's game remains, um, that Texas remains in contact there along with Wardell Mack. They're just going to let these things play out over time here. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of these recruitments will go into November, early December, and Texas will just maintain what they do. They, they recruit through the whistle and these recruitments take time again. Florida had a big win Saturday over Tennessee. Wardell Mack was there. So I go back to that because after Utah, all the comments, oh, he's about to flip to Texas. He's about to flip to Texas. That's not really how this works. Uh, the kid committed to Florida for a reason. He's going to have these Florida can Florida knows that and they're going to continue to recruit these kids. Texas is going to recruit, continue to recruit these kids. These are real recruiting battles that are going to play out to November and December. And then this question here about wide receivers from EQM. He says, does 24 or 25 have a deeper wide receiver class, Jerry? Uh, 2025 is tremendous at wide out. Um, I, I think uh, at the high know, level, at high, high end talents. Uh, now, here's the thing. Ryan Williams reclasses to 24. Then you sit there and have Ryan Williams and, and Jeremiah Smith nationally at the top at receiver. That's about as good as you'll find. Um, I think in Texas, 2025 is really deep at wide receiver, though, and high-end talent as well. I mean, when there's some guys, you know, that uh, Taz Williams, where is he at on the Texas list? And there's some pass classes, not 2022, obviously, but there's some pass classes where he may be a little bit higher than he is now. There's great depth at wide receiver in Texas in that 25 class. And then we're going to go two more on wide receiver real quick. Uh, this first one from Antoine Parker. He says, 2025 wide receiver Romel Stevens was a visitor at the game. Do you have any info on that? I, I don't have any anything any info on that. I mean, I, I can tell you this. Um, evaluations continue this year uh, throughout the season. Uh, but right now, you're, the focus is to Corey and Moore, Marcus Harris, Andrew Marsh. And then last recruiting question for right now, Jerry, and I know you touched on it at the beginning of the show, but obviously one of the biggest recruiting storylines of the week. So let's rehash it. Jerry C says, how did the visit go with Wingo? Yeah, I think the visit went great. Um, I, I really do. Um, uh, and, and I know a lot of people will be sitting like, like you do in recruiting. Oh, no, Missouri just beat Kansas State. Look, I mean, I, I think here's the deal with Ryan Wingo is um, I think he thinks uh, and not that I'm not knocking Missouri. Um, anything can happen in recruiting. But I think Ryan sees himself on a bigger stage. He visited Texas, Michigan, Georgia officially. I, I think he likes that stage. Um, I think he sees himself on that stage. Um, I think, you know, look, chances of A.D. Mitchell going pro. There's going to be opportunities. Xavier Worthy, Worthy going pro. Uh, Ryan's a midterm graduate. So he's he can come in. He sees himself on a big uh, stage with the ability to come in and push early. Um, so I, I think that's what Missouri's up against in this recruitment. I really do is um, that Ryan is a five-star receiver, and I think he sees himself on that stage. I think that's where he envisions himself. And I think Sarkeesian, 
Chris Jackson, Arch Manning, all the Texas players. I think they've done a really good job in this recruitment with the kid and the family. All right, guys, let's uh, get back to some team-related questions. We're going to start with a couple of super chats. This first one from DC History, uh, DC History, and thank you, DC History. He says, uh, what does Jamon Tapp need to improve on as a player? One thing I like about him is that he brings the thump on his tackles, and he seems to play with energy. Well, he got his first extended action on Saturday night. Uh, but when Chris Ross went out, he went in the game. He actually did acquit himself well. Uh, what they like about Chris Ross and why he got the, the call over Jamon Tapp is Chris Ross is a really good pass rusher. And he has a great first step that can catch people off guard. I think long term, Jamon Tapp's going to be a better player than Chris Ross. Uh, and I say that because he does have more physical ability. He's got longer length. He's going to be a bigger uh, player uh, uh, and be able to handle the run better. Uh, but Jamon Tapp just needs to make sure he's playing his, staying in his lane uh, and getting more and more physical and gaining weight and to be able to play the end. Um, but I, I think we'll see him improve as the season goes on. Guys, he's only a sophomore. He's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. These guys are not old guys. I mean, like Ethan Burke is just now becoming who he's going to be. He's a, he's a true sophomore. He's the same class as Ethan Burke. These are young guys, uh, and I just say let's give them time because I do think it's clear when you watch Jamon Tapp, he has ability. It's clear when you watch Jeray Bledsoe, he has ability. They well, still need some weight. I mean, they need time to develop their bodies. In, in the 2022 class, the most raw guys technically in the class were Bledsoe and Tapp. But I'll never forget the day I went to see Tapp at Ascension Catholic I think, Bobby, I sent you the video of him playing corner, messing around in practice, right, <laughs> against a receiver that's at Auburn. Um, and you watched his feet, and you are like, hmm, that's nice high, very high-level flexibility, foot quickness, body quickness, reactive quickness. But him and Bledsoe were as raw as anybody Texas signed in that 22 class. You're just starting to see some glimpses of it. Somebody asked about Bledsoe. I actually would have liked to see Bledsoe more in the Wyoming game, and I think that's it's going to be interesting to see – um, that bend don't break style. I think you're going to have to be a little more disruptive with this new clock rule. I think coaches are going to learn this. Uh, then we have another super chat here. Uh, this one from Derek Trailer, and Derek asks if Quinn struggles again and Texas is losing at halftime, do we see Malik or Arch? Um, I don't think so. I mean, look, they're three and zero. They beat Bam on the road. I mean, they came back in the fourth quarter. Quinn helped orchestrate that. Don't, you, you, he's your quarterback, guys. You know, maybe if he goes out and does a Chris Sims against Colorado, you know, but barring that, I don't see that happening. Quinn's the guy, and get used to it. So that's my take, uh, largely. Hey, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, I know it's getting around the one-hour uh, mark here, and so I want to make sure we – uh, talk about John Donovan uh, over over at the LonghornWealth.net. He is our newest sponsor. Uh, he's the president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. In his more than 30 years of practice, John, as a CFP, has been providing total wealth management services and solutions for his clients. John is a proud UT grad and has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas, Texas board member. He shares his passion for UT with his wife and six siblings, all of whom are also UT grads. It's this passion that has led John to dedicate his firm to serving his fellow UT alums, 
employees, family, and friends. So to learn how Longhorn Wealth can orchestrate prosperity for you and your loved ones, give John a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm going to take a question here from the InsideTexas.com forums, and this is from OSG. He says, is there any chance Savion Red can work his way into the running back rotation, even if all of our running backs are healthy? Yes, he just did. He just did. Running the Wildcat got him in. It's going to give him more reps. They're going to work him in more and more. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think I think look, if if obviously if Cedric Baxter's healthy, you're not gonna get bulk carries, right? But if Texas is gonna maximize their run game, Savion Red needs to be the third running back taking handoffs. In the run game, I didn't say pass game the running backs, that's Keelan and Jaden Blue. But if you're gonna maximize your run game, those that need to be the three guys taking handoffs. I can see hey Jerry, I can see them doing with with uh, Savion Red, like they did with Cedric Baxter um, in early against uh, Alabama and throwing him some swing passes or lined up outside and, and essentially being a, a wide receiver of sorts. It's a running wide receiver. I'm going to follow that question up with this one that was uh, just posted by Isaac Darden in the chat. He says, would you start Baxter over Brooks at this point? 50-50 for me. I think Jonathan Brooks is a is proving to be an adult, if that makes sense to everyone. He's like he's the guy that you can rely on. Uh, he clearly had a great game against Wyoming, uh, and not not a lot of is made about that run, the sixty plus yard run he had. But you know he got hit at the thirty and didn't get tackled until the seven or five. Right? He made somebody miss downfield. Actually, a couple people missed downfield. That was a really, really talented run. Everybody talks about the 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 hole that he ran through. It was wide as uh, you could drive a Mack truck through it. But the point is, he was thirty yards downfield and still made people miss. That's that's good running. He got an extra twenty five yards. I, I like. I really like what Texas is doing to start the season at running back. Here's why: um, Cedric Baxter starts. Defense starts to get a little tired. Jonathan Brooks comes in really fresh. I, I I like that rotation for Texas, and I think there's probably a little chess to that, um, honestly. Um, I think Cedric Baxter has better hands. And that if you're going to involve the running back in the passing game, to start the game, you're going to do it with Baxter. But I really like that Baxter, that offensive line, maybe get a few plays, get a series. You always, you're bringing in Brooks fresh. I, I like the way that was playing out to start the season. Um, the one thing, I, I think there's strength, right? Brooks is going to be might more consistent runs, I think, versus, versus Baxter as the season moves along. But Baxter's better catching the football. That's been seen. And he has the best cutback vision. So they complement each other really well. Hey, Jerry. I, Blake, let's talk about this one. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Andrew just say Andrew DeShazer. Go go for it, Blake. Uh, he says, forgive me if this was covered, which it hasn't been. So you're good, Andrew. What are y'all thoughts on Kevin Moore and his officiating crew and Big 12 officials in general moving forward? I, I think that they that pass interference call against um the pass interference call against Terrence Brooks was ridiculous. The wrong guy threw it. 
He couldn't engage where the ball landed. It's just the same stuff. I mean, just they over-officiate. They go to review for no reason. I mean, they literally, they over-officiate, okay? Or they take the exact under-approach and under-officiate. There is no even. Um, there is a play where in the, uh, the, the last drive that um, Wyoming scored, okay, uh, there was a play where Baron Sorrell chased uh, the quarterback, the Wyoming quarterback, Swoboda, out of bounds at the 10 or 12-yard line. They replaced the ball at the 8. I don't know if it went to review, but it was out for a while. They replaced the ball at the 8 even after that. It was the biggest, I mean, it's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, That's saying a lot. Not the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Certainly par for the course, actually, for that officiating crew, in my opinion. Just uh, so I, I don't know what to do about it. I I will say that um, the Alabama game seemed better officiated. Did y'all agree with that? Not yeah. a lot of going to overzealous reviews. The plays that were reviewed were plays that you would expect to be reviewed, like Jonathan Brooks's fumble recovery, right? Not, you know, Quinn Ewers, did he get in or did he not get in when he clearly got in? I mean, everybody saw it in real time that he got in. Let's go to review, though. I, I just feel like they don't have a sense for the game. Uh, it, it feels like it, it slows down the game. No, I'm with you, especially on the Alabama game. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt good. I mean, it, they they reviewed the right plays. Yeah, no they doubt. They were looking for mysterious things and going back and, you know, checking the Zaprooter film. I mean, it, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, man. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's A lot of people question. are talking about the spot. It was horrible. That that's the one I think that's under the Texas fans' skin the most in that game, which it should be. It made no sense. I mean, it was all, I would have put him out at the twelve. Yeah, that was the bad. ball to eight. That was obvious. And a guy that can't really throw downfield. Great. That one was very obvious to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and what the worst part was is the ref was right there on the sideline looking at it, like three yards away at the absolute. It went to review. <laughs> They had a timeout. They could have easily reviewed it, but no. I mean, it. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry about that one. No, you're good, Bobby. All right, Joe D. He says, how concerned should we be with all the drops this year? It's cost us at least 21 points so far. If Texas loses a game by three and has a TD drop, then yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> – but look, I, I think they have – that's where Texas is a different team because they have more playmakers on the field. It's kind of what we've talked about. You can overcome mistakes, a player not playing well uh, at certain games because you have more playmakers on the field. But if you're in a tight game and you sit there and lose a game 34-31 and there was a drop touchdown, you're going to be able to look back on that and say, hmm, yeah, that was kind of a trend and it finally got us. Hey, Jerry, one guy you didn't mention, uh, by the way, uh, in your recruiting review – Solomon Williams, you said, did not make it in this no. weekend because of a family illness. Can you can you uh, recap his recruitment and if and if Texas is still after him? I guess they are, right? Yeah, I mean, to my knowledge, I'm going to go over there uh, late this week. Um, but uh, yeah, he had family, kind of a family emergency situation. Somebody was admitted to the hospital on the mom's side. 
and Texas was working to get that mom on campus with Solomon. That's the key because when he came in July, he came with his head coach because of his mom's work schedule. So they were looking at September 16th this weekend or the 30th, the Kansas game. When could the mom make the trip with Solomon? Texas really likes Solomon Williams, but they know if mom doesn't make the trip with him, the chances of you running the recruitment are pretty much zero. Um, so that is going to be the key is when they can get him on campus, when his mom can make the trip. He's scheduled to be at Oregon this weekend. We'll see then. Um, I'll check in again with him this week when I'm down there to see if he's rescheduled for September 30th. Because September 30th, Kansas game. Wyoming turned into a bigger recruiting weekend because Texas beat Bama. September 30th has been the weekend the staff has had circled for months now in recruiting. That's when I think there's going to be multiple official visitors on the 24 class that are still on the board and unofficial visitors in that 24 class. I think they're all going to converge on Austin that weekend because that's the way the staff's been planning it. And then real quick also, Jerry, uh, this question from Corey J. Did Ty Anthony Smith visit this last weekend? Um, I, I did not see him. All right, there you go. Okay, guys, we got time for about one or two more questions here. And if I can find which one I was going to ask, I will ask it. Uh, it's from Grimes Co. He says, seems like a lot of question areas for a team ranked number three. Are we overranked? Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't have a – if Texas were number eight, I wouldn't have a problem with this. Right. I mean, look, Washington looks better than Texas. Washington beat – Texas in the Alamo Bowl last year. Washington's been dominant in every game they've played. I don't have a problem with that. Texas has the better win right. over Alabama. Um, but is Texas, could Texas be overranked? Absolutely. I uh -oh. And I don't think there's shame in that. I think Texas is a top 10 team. They, they've yet to prove they're a top five team or top three team. That doesn't make, that doesn't, that, that doesn't, you know, right now, you know, you wouldn't put money on Texas definitely going to the college football playoff. Right. Now you think they have a chance. Yeah. But there's no there's no shame in being a top 10 team, even if the rankings right now show out that they're number three. I, th I think this, too, with college football this year, based on what we've seen. Um, Georgia's a dominant defensive team team as a whole. Probably not. I would say that's an, definitely an arguable point, right? But defensively, they're always going to be under Muschamp and Kirby with the talent they're bringing in. But that doesn't mean they are as a team as a whole. Um, is Michigan? Oh, we'll see. They, they have a lot of uh, draftable guys. After that, Washington, I think, is dominant offensively. I think USC, dominant offensively. But we're talking dominant teams here. Uh, I guess to Bobby's point, who really is right now? I, I don't think we know. I don't think anybody's seen a flat-out dominant team in college football this year so far. I'm so you can, throw, you can throw one through eight or nine in the rankings right now, and you could flip that whole thing around right now and, and probably come out with a correct ranking for some, view, some point of view. I, I would say the one team that I would watch for, and we've talked about them, is Michigan. Um, they can score more points than they're scoring right now, and their defense is really good. This, just, um, this is Harbaugh's best team. Yeah. If he doesn't I mean, win, he's, got, he's going to be the best look he's had at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and he hasn't been there. He, I think this was his last game where he's not going to be on the sideline. Yeah. So I, I think if there is a dominant team in college football, it's them. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. 
you know, he's an odd coach in that he plays the games a little too close for me. Almost like Nick used to do in the uh, late 2000s where he'd be happy to win 13 to 10. Harbaugh does the same thing sometimes, and that gets his teams in trouble in the fourth quarter. All right, guys, we've got another super chat here. This one is from Chris Harrington. And Chris says, my wife thinks I'm insane after watching me watch the Wyoming game with a big black box on the screen. Could only see feet. True fan here. Well, Chris, we thank you for the super chat. We appreciate it as always. And then, guys, I am going to read this one from Ruben Flores. He says, does Jade Barron have a shot to win the Jim Thorpe Award this season? A little early for me on that one. Um, there's a lot of big plays to be made um, uh, the rest of the way. I think that that's the thing to know is um, in to, to win that. I mean, you got he, you're going to need a couple of pick sixes. You're going to need a pick six against Oklahoma, right? You're going to need some huge plays. I think he's a very consistent, really, really good football player. But there's a lot of big momentum changing plays left in college football this year, and he's got to make a couple of those in Big Twelve play in tight games. All right, this will be the last question for today, guys. It's from Pablo the Colombian. Thank you. Uh, and Pablo says, could a one-loss Texas team who loses a close game in Arlington still have a resume for the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. TCU did. Yeah. I, I think it's. I think you have a better shot if you're 11-1 and in the regular season then go win the Big 12. Yeah. 12-1. and Because I do wonder just the Big 12 where it's going to be ranked this year. Um, I mean, there's some bad losses out there now uh, for the conference. I think it's better if you're 11 and one and go win that game and you're 12 and one. TCU obviously did get in last year. Uh, Georgia probably doesn't think they should have been. <laughs> Very true. All right. Hey, I, well, I am going to, I lied. I'm going to do one more. Daniel Kinneman, he says, after seeing Rice in Wyoming, I feel this is a 10 and two team, Big 12 champs in New York, New Year Six Bowl. Your thoughts? I mean, that's where we all had Texas before the season. Then they beat Alabama, and you moved the number to possibly 11, right? Um, I still think – I think you're looking at the same thing, 10-2, and two, maybe 11-1. and one. Um, I think 11-1 and one now is the kind of the goal after you beat Bama. Uh, I think talent-wise, Texas has more talent, Bobby, than anybody they're going to play on the schedule, right? I mean, they have more <laughs> draftable talent than anybody they're going to play on the schedule. That doesn't mean you're going to win the games, but – Texas is going to be favored in every game they play this year. We'll see. And I say that because of this. Texas loses to one of Baylor, which I don't think is going to happen, mm-hmm. or Kansas. But if you lose to Kansas, yeah. And then goes to OU, and OU could be 5-0 and at that point. Um, look, I, my, my thought on, on this is that uh, I still stick at 10-2, and 11-1 now. And the, the reason I say that is I, I feel like we still haven't seen a consistent Quinn Ewers. Um, and uh, until we do, I, I worry that there's going to be a game or two where Texas needs to outscore its opponent and they're going to need a highly consistent, highly effective Quinn Ewers. Uh, they're going to need an Alabama Quinn Ewers to step up. And until I see him do that, two or three games in a row, you don't know what you're going to get on a given Saturday. Sark's um, got to develop that quarterback. Yeah, no, no, That's no. It's, it's not just Quinn. It's Sark, it's too. Yeah, it's Sark, too. I, I, my point being, my point being on this is 
I'm still in that same territory where, look, they need to get better on offense. The great thing about it is they've got a defense that's going to be good no matter who they play. Now, they may get beat for big plays. We saw what happened with Jaron Thompson a couple of times. I, look, I, I'm just – I feel good about 10-2, and 11-1. and one. Um, I think it's possible they're still 9-3. and three. But this team is going to be – it's going to be Texas' best team in, in uh, quite a while, and I think the number is going to prove that out. All right, guys. Bobby, before we leave, uh, why don't you tell everybody what you have coming on later today right here on On Texas Football. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lunch with the coach is scheduled for 12 o'clock. Me and Brian Irwin, the head football coach, former head football coach, two-time state championship uh, winner uh, for the Lamarck Cougars. We uh, get together each and every Monday at noon. Uh, Jerry and Rod are getting together. I think Jerry may be doing this from a high school that he's going to be at later today for folks uh, that are doing that. He's going to be talking football uh, with uh, Rod Babers. Uh, That will also be sponsored by the guys at Longhorn Wealth Management Group as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. I appreciate the Monday morning questions. Look, sometimes we critique the team, but the bottom line is that's part of the job. Yeah. Texas is, is 3-0. and Yeah, 3-0. and I mean, get give me – if I would have been told Texas is 3-0 and and I'm sitting here on September 18th, yeah, I would take that all day and twice on – I mean, I'm just – I would yeah. take that and go home and be really, really happy. I think Texas fans should be too. Look, look, and I want to say this. I mean, um, ecstatic. By the it's, way, it's it's <laughs> it's not nitpicking. By the way, it, here's the reality: is coaches sit there every morning in their coach's office, and they weren't they're coaching to a perfection level that they see out of a team. When we're talking about this, I'm talking about how does this team maximize their ability. And that's coaching, that's players, that's all. How do I see Texas maximizing this season, maximizing this team? That's all I'm after when I talk about Texas, guys. Isaac Darden's got it right. What's the What What do they need to do now? They need to focus on Baylor and beat Baylor. Yeah. All right, that's yeah. exactly right. I agree. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this edition of On Texas Football Today, Coffee and Football. We want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank all of our Super Chats. And then, of course, I think John Donovan of Longhorn Wealth Management Group as well for sponsoring the show. And uh, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. Don't forget to ring the bell so you're notified anytime a video is posted right here on On Texas Football. And then don't forget also to head on over to InsideTexas.com for all the latest and greatest in Longhorn coverage. And for Jerry Hamilton and Bobby Burton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome, everybody.